This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Raider Cody Podcast, the official podcast of RaidersBeat.com. What's up, Raider Nation? This is Wayne Mabry, a.k.a. The Violator, and you're listening to the Raider Cody Podcast Show. Get your ears on and get some of this. Yeah! What's going on, Raider Nation? Something a little bit different this week. You're hearing us a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, going out of town, but we got it done. What's going on, Chris? Cody, how you doing, man? Good talking to you. Raider Nation, what's going on? I'm excited about this episode. Talk more Raider football, man. Yeah, absolutely. And we can't uh, we can't seem to stray away from a boring week. We had some more exciting news going on. A lot of things happening. So are you ready to dive on into these announcements, Chris? Let's go. Former Raiders punter and future Hall of Famer Shane Leckler has announced his retirement from the NFL after 18 years in the league. Some Raiders offseason dates have been set. First day will be April 15th, OTAs start May 21st, and mandatory minicamp starts June 11th. Visits and workouts for the 2019 draft prospects have started, and the Raiders have brought in quarterbacks. Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins, defensive tackle Quentin Williams, outside linebackers Josh Allen and Derek Robertson, and wide receiver Simba Webster. Raiders have signed former Redskins and Colts wide receiver Ryan Grant to a one-year deal worth up to $2.5 million with incentives. Then the following morning, Raiders have cut wide receiver Seth Roberts before the final year of his contract. The Raiders have worked out free agent running backs Robert Turbin and Charkandrick West. No decision, though, is expected to be made on them until after the draft. And two former players are expected to announce draft picks for the Raiders. Shane Leckler, who just retired, will be announcing the third-round pick. And Charles Woodson will be announcing the second-round pick. So, Chris, as if we didn't have any questions already... I think that's a clear indication that Shane Leckler will be retiring a Raider. Without a doubt. I mean, there was quite a long time where Shane Leckler was arguably our best player. I think he averaged over 51 yards a punt one season. You know, he flipped the field for the Raiders in in many years when they really needed it more than ever because they didn't have much offense to move the football. So he was a big helper for the defense, gave them a chance to get off the field. So uh, big props to Shane Leckler. He was a great Raider. Obviously went on to Houston and had some good years there as well, but I think he'll always be known as a member of the Silver and Black. Once a Raider, always a Raider, and especially in a case like Shane Leckler, man. Props to you, Shane. Yeah, for sure, and you can't argue. I was surprised 
that he played 13 years for us and only five for the Texans. It felt like it's been forever since he's been a Raiders punter, man. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just the the turmoil of having Marquette King or or the underwhelming season of Johnny Townsend. Maybe it's just it's made it feel like a lot longer than just five years for us. Yet again, here on the Raider Cody podcast, we have a great guest coming on, Michael Gelkin. Chris, he landed us a pretty good guest this week. He's my favorite, honestly, uh, Raiders reporter. You know, when you look at, you know, following him on Twitter, he's not a guy that floods you with a bunch of opinions. If I want to know exactly what's going on with the Raiders, what the feeling is, you know, in the building, why they're signing a guy, why they're going after a guy, how they feel about whatever's going on. He reports the facts. You know, he doesn't throw in a million different opinions. And it's difficult sometimes with writers. You have to sift through their opinion to find the actual core fact of why they're doing it. With Gelkin, you don't have to do that. If you're not following him on Twitter, do so. And when he puts out articles, he's definitely worth a read. His information on the Raiders is second to none, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. We're going to dig into a little bit more why he has that type of opinion, because Most of these writers, I think, they just kind of eat and breathe Raiders their entire life, and they develop a biased opinion. Gelkin's a little bit different, so we're going to give him a call, and we're going to find out how that brain ticks and uh, get it going here. You ready to give him a call, Chris? Let's do it. All right, so we have a special guest on the phone, Michael Gelkin. He's a Raiders beat writer for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. How are y'all doing? We're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. Doing great. Doing great. <laughs> First, uh, Michael, I wanted to ask you, uh, since we we ourselves recently launched a foundation to help fellow Raider fans, um, and I know you run a pretty cool organization as well, Champion Causes. Um, before we get into the football talk, can you tell us a little bit about Champion Causes? Sure. When I was uh, covering the Chargers in San Diego for the San Diego Union, I... You know, it's kind of where I got my start was in San Diego. And before then, um, on the side, like in college especially, I did a lot of fantasy football. Uh, did some work there with Yahoo. And, you know, fantasy football is always an area that I really appreciated in terms of its influence on the NFL's popularity. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt that fantasy football is the backbone to the rise of the sport. And so um, certainly over the past couple decades, so when um, you're a reporter and you're interacting with athletes as people and you see at times the way fantasy community references or describes players almost as like they're commodities, there seemed to be a bit of a removal between the two, uh, fantasy owners and the actual players themselves. And so uh, I had kind of an idea that, you know, with the, you know, post-Colin Kaepernick, uh, world that the NFL has found itself in, where uh, increasingly players were looking to use their platforms to promote social good and just to let people know what, what they stood for off the field. Um, that, you know, suggesting to people leading up to the fantasy football championships, week 16, you know, which overlaps with the holidays, uh, I believe 12 of the 16 NFL games that slate, 12 or 13, were played on Christmas Eve. So I just posted on social media, on Twitter. You know, a thought on Christmas Eve, if a player helps win your fantasy league, consider donating a portion of your winnings to a cause he supports. And a lot of people donated, uh, you know, a portion of their fantasy football winnings to uh, 
you know, player on their team's favorite cause. And, and some people did it even if they lost. Some people did it even if they didn't play fantasy football at all. <laughs> Thousands of dollars were raised. And then I did it the next year. And it really took off where Todd Gurley's cause was Shriners Hospitals for Children. And, fantasy, and, and Gurley had an incredible season. And many people won their fantasy league because of it. More than $50,000 was raised from fantasy Holy football players wow. to amazing. in Gurley's name. And then very next week, Andy Dalton throws a game-winning touchdown pass against the Baltimore Ravens because of that touchdown pass. The, uh, pardon me, the Buffalo Bills made it to the postseason for the yeah. first time in 17 years. And so Buffalo Bills fans took it upon themselves to apply the fantasy football concept to be outside of fantasy and donated in $17 increments to Andy Dalton's foundation, well over $400,000. And that began this cycle of philanthropy that raised awareness to what athletes believe in off the field and, more importantly, raised valuable resources to those causes because athletes don't need fans of money. I mean, they are perfectly uh, well, uh, you know, they get all kinds of, of dollars via their salaries and their roster bonuses signing bonuses and everything that comes with being an NFL player. But because they believe in off the field, they can use all the help they can get. So uh, I've devoted some spare time over the past couple of years to just build a brand of champion causes. And it really exists as a social media platform to just let people know this is what your favorite athlete or athlete of the moment, you know, because Buffalo Bills fans had no attachment to Andy Dalton until they felt moved to donate toward his cause. If this is a cause that he believes in, this is his foundation, if it's something that he's known to support, no pressure. It's more of an information type of database where I simply let people know uh, this is what, uh, this is a cause about which an athlete is passionate. That is completely awesome, man. <laughs> I tell you, uh, it, it's cool to have that platform. It's cool what the NFL provides as long, you know, as well as the players. But more importantly, you know, the real victories don't come on the football field. They come off the football field. So that's cool that you're able to contribute in that sort of way to make that stuff happen, man. Yeah, um, but diving a little bit into your career, uh, obviously you already said, you know, you used to cover the San Diego Chargers. Uh, that was for a while. Most of your career seems like um, you're able to move over now once they once they moved to Los Angeles. You jumped on with the Las Vegas Review Journal, and I felt like it was perfect timing. Like, just in time, you get to dive into the Raiders for a few years, get involved with the organization, see what they're all about, get to know, uh, of course, the Raider fans, you know, uh, out of Oakland, uh, what they're all about, kind of where they're coming from. And then you'll be, uh, by the time we go to Vegas, you'll be a vested vet and well-recognized by Raider Nation. So, Michael, I wanted to ask you, what have you learned through this whole process already, and uh, what are you looking forward to in the future covering the Raiders? Well, when you're covering a new team, you have to you want to learn as much about the organization as you can. Uh, you you want to learn as much about the coaches, about the players, about the organization's history. But you also want all the people in the building to know who you are and what you're about. You know what you stand for, the type of ways that you're going to approach your job, um, and so that. It's something that takes time in terms of just developing relationships, developing hopefully respect, mutual respect, where, you know, if I go up to a player in a locker room after a loss, you know, he knows who I am. He knows what I'm about. There's a relationship there. And, the, and I say relationship, you know, we aren't buddies necessarily off the field. We're not, you know, hanging out and, you know, on Friday or whatever nights watching Game of Thrones reruns. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're not doing anything like that, but it's more about, you know, we can talk as people, 
even though we both have jobs to do and there'd be a trust there or they know they can speak freely and, uh, you know, just hopefully through that relationship, through that trust, through that respect, I'm able to provide content to readers, not just Las Vegas review journal, you know, people in Nevada. I've never viewed that as my audience. Uh, I think when you're covering a team like the Raiders, a team that's currently based in the Bay area, a team that has been based in Southern California, a team that is renowned for having fans just about everywhere in the world. You aren't just writing for a singular demographic from a geographical Great. standpoint. So um, I want I want to provide content for everybody, um, even though I, I, I write, you know, you know, covering the Raiders for an outlet based in Las Vegas. I don't necessarily view myself as a Las Vegas reporter. Uh, I've never lived in Las Vegas. It's not just because I've never lived <laughs> yeah. in Las Vegas. Uh, I moved from San Diego to Oakland. You know, sometimes people ask me how people in Las Vegas feel about the Raiders coming there, and I have to remind them that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've been there a few times, and I try to take the temperature, and I speak to my coworkers, and I do my best to, you know, dial into how people there are feeling, but until you're living there, you, you really don't know. So um, I, I think it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but um, since I've joined this beat, I, I've really uh, just tried to let people know what I'm about, gender relationships and gender trust, earn the, that trust, and hopefully because of that trust, people are willing to tell me their stories a bit more. I always give Raiders fans everywhere a good sense of what's happening with their favorite team. Man, uh, <clears throat> Michael, I have to tell you, you know, as a Raider fan, one thing that I look for is, you know, obviously there's many reporters to follow with the Raiders, many people that write about the Raiders. But I really appreciate not just your your Twitter that's so informative, your your articles that you write for the Las Vegas Review Journal. And even recently, uh, there was a situation where I was like, you know what, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to check and see if Michael Gelkin <laughs> has written anything about this because I want to know what really is going on and what is kind of like nonsense yeah. out there. So I didn't see anything. I messaged you and you're like, hey, I got something launching pretty quick here. And then, you know, sure enough, within the hour it was launched and I was able to get the answer I was looking for. So I just want to let you know, as a Raider fan with – not a, a big platform, but, uh, you know, a decent platform with this podcast. You are absolutely a person that I go to. And for all the listeners out there that are looking for, you know, someone to to have that type of impact in terms of you being a fan, Michael Gelkin is the guy. And um, I wanted to ask you, I was going to go into the Vegas thing, so I'm glad that you kind of went over that already. You're not, you don't live in Las Vegas, but through your coworkers, uh, when you look at you know them located in Las Vegas and the residents over there, is there a vibe you get from your coworkers in terms of like, uh, are they prepared fully for the Raiders, and is there a, a, an excitement brewing over there that maybe you get any of that feeling from your coworkers? I, I do. I know you look at how Las Vegas as a community has embraced the first major professional sports team to call Las Vegas home, which is the NHL Golden Knights. At Golden Knights, you know, they have a fan base. They have a robust, a robust uh, number of season ticket holders. And you go to a game. I've been, I was able to go to one game the last time I was in Vegas earlier this year in January. And the excitement, you know, the electricity in that arena and people who are there cheering them on. I mean, they're Las Vegans. You know, they are, I think that's what they call Las Vegans. Uh, they're people who live in Las Vegas. Uh, who, who understands there's more to that city than just a strip. They are sports fans who love their team, who are invested on the product 
before them and they're loving it. And so when you get a taste of going to a Golden Knights game, you come to appreciate how Las Vegas, beyond the strip, can support a professional team there. I think the excitement there in Las Vegas already exists. You know, they already have, you know, Raiders image locations, mm-hmm. you know, the special team store is there. Marshawn Lynch has his yeah. own store. You you can go to the DMV and you can get an official Raiders mm-hmm. license plate for Nevada. Um, there are a number of examples of the Raiders being active in the community already leading up to the team's official relocation there. So you do get the sense that there is that excitement, that anticipation, but I think it'll only amplify as that stadium is built. Once that building arises there on the strip near Mandalay Bay and people are driving past it on their way to work and just seeing it, it'll really feel like, oh, yes, the Raiders are really coming. I think it's it's building that excitement, but and the anticipation already exists. But uh, once, that, once people can actually see a stadium being built, that's when I think it reaches a new level. Obviously, I'm actually from Southern Southern California, so I get I go out to Vegas now and then, and I'm I'm personally really looking forward to going out there and staying at Mandalay Bay, the Luxor, all that, and walk into the game. I can't wait for that opportunity for the Raiders to have a brand new stadium. But I wanted to kind of circle back to the Oakland Raiders. I wanted to ask you, what is it like being in front of John Gruden, asking him questions, and then sometimes when he gets, you know, has a funny response, is it difficult to kind of keep your composure, so to speak? I like working with him. Um, I don't, I'm not afraid to say that, you know, he, uh, as a reporter, I've covered some coaches who weren't, who I've had strong relationships with, um, in the past, but who weren't really known for their on camera press conference personalities. Uh, the first head coach I covered was Norv Turner. Norv is hilarious off the podium. He's got a real dry sense of humor, but at a podium, he's not somebody who could fill up a reporter's notebook. Uh, I had Mike McCoy after that in San Diego, and he and I uh, had and, and still do have a, a really strong relationship. But at the podium, same thing. He wasn't somebody who was going to fill up your notebook. John Gruden can <laughs> fill up your notebook. What I mean by that is you could have in your mind what you're going to report upon that day. And then John Gruden just takes a question that you ask or one of your fellow beat members ask has a response to it that is like, well, shoot, I guess I'm writing 400 words, 500 words, 600 words on that because he was just so good. Um, that's, there's two sides of that. There's one side of like, wow, well, this is an article is going to write itself. There's the other side of it, which is kind of unfortunate, which it, 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 at times it can make you feel as a reporter like you're writing the low-hanging fruit of the day. Sometimes you really enjoy being able to go into a locker room and find a real nugget and, and all that, and that being your story. There's still plenty of time to do that, and, and this is no excuse not to find those nuggets because those nuggets are, are really worth chasing. But there are times where everyone on the beat's like, well, you know, I mean, that, that, so it's so obvious what needs to be written just because Gruden um, was so colorful and he, he provided uh, such insight on a given topic. So. Um, there's, those are the two sides, I suppose, of what it's like being there at the, at, at the near the podium that you're seeing on camera um, covering John Gruden. In regards to John Gruden, his relationship with new general manager Mike Mayock, I personally think bringing him aboard 
He's kind of the perfect partner in crime to go along with Coach Gruden, so to speak. What is your feeling about their working relationship and how it can impact this franchise in a positive way going forward? I think so far it's been fantastic. I also think that time is the best indicator. And John Gruden, over the course of his career, I mean, he you know, he kind of cycles through people around him. You know, he cycled through strength coaches at an incredible rate. Look at his head strength coaches and the series at which he has produced turnover there. Um, he just moves on from them quickly. I, I haven't looked as closely into how he works with managers and, and that sort of a thing, but it'll be, I'll, I'll be, it'll be interesting to see how Mayock and Gruden's relationships develops over the coming months, over the coming years. Uh, but thus far, uh, you can already see the difference between Gruden working with Mayock as opposed to Gruden working with Reggie McKenzie. There were some pretty pivotal decisions that the Raiders made in 2018. We're plenty familiar with them. You look back at the way Gruden would describe the rationale behind each of those transactions, and certainly the Amari Cooper deal specifically comes to mind, where we had Reggie McKenzie uh, speak to us reporters in the media center in Alameda at team headquarters. And we had John Gruden speak to us. Um, and it was like they were speaking a totally different language. Actually, this really rings true as I'm describing it, the Quill Mac deal, uh, where Reggie talked one way about what was going on and what was part of the logic behind the deal. And then the very next day, Gruden talks about the trade and you wonder how much they were talking to each other at all before that deal yeah. got done. And that's not to insinuate necessarily that they weren't talking to each other. I have no doubt that they were. Uh, by all indications, those two were in communication a considerable amount, uh, more so perhaps even than Reggie was with Jack Del Rio. But the difference is they're just so different in terms of the way they communicate, the, their temperaments overall. And so even if they were part of the same decision, when it came time to have the people at the head of your organization describe why a blockbuster franchise-shaping move was made, they described it in incredibly different yeah. fashions. And so uh, you listen to Mike Mayock and you listen to John Gruden, these two speak the same language. It's very clear, even if they're talking the exact same amount about a decision before it's being made as, as Gruden and Reggie McKenzie did, you can just tell after the fact that you just get a sense that this is an organization with more cohesion than existed the previous year. Yeah, I like how you brought that up too because it seems like to me that Reggie was more of Jack Del Rio's type people. You'd even see him at press conferences. Even whenever it came across with injuries, Jack Del Rio wasn't the type to even you know tell us any details on an injury. Now coming this year with John Gruden, man, he just kind of lets it all hang out on the table for the most part. He'll let you know. I mean, a lot of people call him a liar, but he's pretty much speaks what's on his mind so it's definitely entertaining and i'm sure it's extra entertaining for you but michael i had one last question for you uh just kind of an opinionated thing here um obviously our biggest need here on this roster is defensive end we need a freaking pass rusher right so how um and i'd like to ask you maybe a player in particular maybe a ziggy ansa is there is there somebody around here um, that you think that the Raiders could attack here at the end of free agency? Well, I think names tend to be the ones that we watch more closely in terms of Zayanza and you know Justin Houston before he found a home. You know, you, you look at the career production of the name, and it's very easy to point to the position of greatest need and think that's a logical option for the Raiders to pursue. But there's usually a reason why 
guys like Ziggy are, are still available. Yeah. And I say that without a detailed reason as to why he finds himself in the situation that he is. Uh, perhaps it is medical, perhaps it's something else, whatever it may be. Uh, he's still in the market here with the draft fast approaching. That is a bit of an indicator as to what his market is, how he's viewed in the NFL among those with all the information. And so while it is possible that maybe the Raiders do add a veteran there, they really want to build through the draft at that particular spot. The question is, how do they feel about the cluster of players who will be available there at number four overall? Mm -hmm. And if they're underwhelmed, they think they can get a guy at eight or nine that they feel just as good about as who's there at number four, and there's a market to trade down, will they? I think that is something certainly worth monitoring as April 25th nears. And we won't really have all the information there. We won't know what offers or scenarios Mike Mayock and John Gruden have to entertain, and which teams have approached them, and again, whether or not the Raiders would even have any interest. I mean, if, shoot, if Nick Bosa somehow were to fall, they don't think he does, I would expect the Raiders to make that pick with, with minimal hesitation. Uh, but say they are looking at that list, and it's guys who are, aren't there. Um, you know, they're, they're underwhelmed for whatever reason. I think there's more value by moving down. Um, that'll be, to me, something that bears watching without having, again, knowledge of what the Raiders draft board looks like today. Yeah, I can't argue with that because mainly the scenarios that we're looking at here for the draft are definitely endless. And I know that's uh, it's got to be head-scratching for a writer uh, trying to dig into some of this stuff because you just never know. Uh, possibilities are endless. And as a Raider fan, I am so excited. But, Michael uh that's all we had for you we appreciate you taking the time and coming on but make sure you follow him at gelkin nfl on twitter you can see his work on the las vegas review journal um but other than that we appreciate your work like we said before we feel like you're very non-biased uh you come in here um and you just write what's real you look for those little nuggets like you said and you always come out with good stuff we're always looking for that story i appreciate it guys thanks for having me thank you michael thank you so much see you mike Boom. Another great interview, Chris. What'd you think about it? Man, I love Michael Gelkin and it was great to bring him on, just get those informative answers. Obviously get to know about, you know, his uh, special cause there, uh, something he's doing for, you know, the community that's really cool in regards oh, yeah. to fantasy football winnings and all that, uh, that whole Andy Dalton thing. I remember that when that happened and all yeah. the Buffalo Bills fans were just throwing the money, you know, just saying thank you so much. So they donated to his cause, and that was really cool. But, yeah, it was great to have Gelkin come on and, uh, you know, give us some really good, um, you know, he was talking about getting nuggets. Well, he gave us some nuggets that were, that were really entertaining to hear, and uh, it was just great to have him come on and, uh, you know, spit that truth at us, man. Yeah, definitely. Wrapped off a little bit of a weird week for us. Uh, if you guys didn't catch it at the beginning of the week, I'm going to be out of town on Saturday, so that's kind of why we're switching the schedule around a little bit this week. We're going to try and drop this thing uh, right after our Periscope Friday night, so it's going to be a little bit different schedule for you. Um, that also throws things off for the King. Uh, for those of you looking forward to Real Talk with Kenny King at the end of the show, um, it won't be here this week. He couldn't He couldn't squeeze it earlier into his week, into his schedule. Uh, so things are a little bit different, but we still have one last topic this week to hit on, Chris. We had some big news. We brought in wide receiver Ryan Grant, former Colts and Redskins wide receiver. Yes, sir. And then, of course, the corresponding move the next day was cutting Seth Roberts. Um, first off, uh, say it a little bit kind of for both of us. Thank you, Seth. Extremely hard worker. Uh, I think he accomplished more than 
anyone would have thought he would have coming from you know a division two school like west alabama going undrafted in 2014 uh the raiders then signed him in may cut him in august and then signed him back to the practice squad a few days later um was he remained on the practice squad the whole year in 2014 then the next year earned a spot on the roster played on a couple consecutive one-year deals then inked that two-year extension right before the 2017 season and some seem to think if it wasn't for that contract extension that he might have not even been on the roster last year with that dead money um looking at our wide receiver group i have a slightly different opinion i think uh, he was at least needed to get through that transition for sure uh Derek carr needed a little itty bitty just give him a sliver of uh consistency there or a familiar face i think we definitely needed it um but what'd you think about letting go of seth roberts i think you hit the nail on the head with a lot of what you said you know i think we sit here as fans and there was definitely a stretch there where Seth struggled with drops. There's no question about that. You know, some inconsistent play. But you look at, you know, at, from a head coach's perspective, why did he last on the roster as long as he did? It's probably difficult as a coach to just cut a guy who works extremely hard, like you alluded to, who does all the dirty work, blocking you on run plays. You know, the effort is fully there. You, he's always where he's supposed to be, even if it's not in the flashiest way. He's not, he wasn't the greatest route runner, but he was where he was supposed to be. And then your franchise quarterback, Derek Carr, trusted him. Yeah. Clearly he did because he went to him at the end of games over and over again. And, you know, he was typically the guy that maybe the defense didn't fully account for. And, and you know, Seth and Derek, that connection made him pay in a lot of situations that won the Raiders football games. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you know, I don't know if it was on the road or just in general when he scored a touchdown, they were like 10 or 11 and 0 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, obviously it all got kicked off in 2015. I still remember week two, you know, week one, we got blown out by Cincinnati. Carr got hurt trying to stiff arm someone. Uh, and then, you know, week two, we had that huge win in Oakland against Baltimore and Seth caught that game winning touchdown pass. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the arrival where it was like, okay, like, you know, we might have a little bit of a team here, you know, our offense might be okay, you know, like, and that was a huge win. Obviously, uh, he had many more game winners after that. The Tampa Bay one comes to mind, yeah. the breaking the two tackles on fourth down and taking it to the house for a house call, like a lot of good moments like that. And sure, there was a lot of third and sevens where he'd drop it and it was like, man, come on, you know, but at the end of the day, you have to appreciate, like you said, undrafted free agent. He had 13 touchdowns and, you know, what he has played 60, 62 games in his career. And, you know, to be able to, you know, get a contract after being undrafted, that's pretty cool. Like you have to give him a salute, give him some props. And I understand, you know, why he, uh, you know, was on the team. And I'm sure it wasn't the easiest of decisions to let him go this year. But at the end of the day, the NFL is a business. They were able to spend half the amount on a receiver in Ryan Grant that, it's just, in my opinion, just a better receiver. So it's kind of a no-brainer there. And um, as much as, you know, it's probably a difficult thing for Seth to deal with right now, once a Raider, always a Raider, and I'll forever appreciate him. And, and especially his improvements yeah. in his last year as a Raider in 2018. I thought he got a lot better at some things. Uh, so I appreciate you, Seth, man, and good luck. I hope he lands on his feet somewhere and he's catching touchdowns doing what he do. Uh, I remember our... We're on a one-year anniversary trip. It was, a, it was a week vacation. We're in St. Lucia in the Caribbean. And, of course, Sunday rolls around. we got the Raider game coming up. And this is the in the infamous 2016 season. And Sunday's coming. I forget what time the game was actually on over there, sometime around 3 o'clock. 
30 minutes before game time, we lose all cable throughout the resort. And I'm like, okay. Going through, I'm connected to Wi-Fi, scrolling through my phone. I pull up the ESPN radio app, get it going. I'm like, well, here we go. I always hear about Greg Papa. I always see him on the replays. He got the radio calls, always replaying on the replays. So here we go. We're going to listen to him live. Laid down on the floor of our hotel room for dang near four hours, it felt like, listening to this radio call. And it turned out with Seth Roberts, like you said, breaking two tackles, walk-off touchdown in Tampa Bay. That's how I remember Seth Roberts. So thank you, bro. Thank you. Man, but- how did you listen to that game on the radio, dude? Because I'm pretty sure I died and came back to life like seven times in that game. So I don't know how you were doing it without being able to like physically see what was going on, dude. You know, you'd be surprised, man. Uh, listening to Greg, pa- it was the only time, but listening to Greg Papa. Um, I could dang near envision what was going on on the field. Um, he was really good at that. and He's the best. Breaking through the two tackles, I didn't necessarily think that he was getting sandwiched by two defenders and he shed the blocks. But, you know, I kind of thought it was like, you know, he dodged a couple yeah. defenders type deal. But then when I saw the replay, I was like, holy crap. No wonder Papa was just losing his mind, man. That was a... Uh, if I had to listen to one game on the radio, at least I think I listened to the right one for sure. Oh, and you listened to it with the right guy. I mean, that's the great thing about Papa, obviously. You know, he's no longer announcing for the Raiders anymore. But back in the past, you know, before I had Sunday ticket and I was a kid and couldn't afford it and there was games that were the Raiders weren't on, whatever, blacked out. Listening to Papa, it was amazing how he let me know exactly where everyone was pre-snap. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Derek in the gun, Latavius to his right. You got yeah. Crabtree in the slot. He was so great, you know, like, oh, man. So appreciate Papa. That was a nice little uh, moment there for us. But, yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from, man. That was a crazy game. And uh, Papa, I'm sure, uh, made it feel like you were watching it yourself. Yeah, good stuff for sure. And now that Raider Nation has already dubbed uh, Ryan Grant as his replacement, I guess we'll just go ahead and call him. Um, played four years for Washington. He was on the Redskins. That's kind of where I remember him the most. Um, and I felt like he kind of had maybe an up and down career those four years that he was there, but he had a huge contract year going into his fifth year. He actually came out and he agreed to terms on a four year, $25 million deal with the Ravens, uh, which fell through after a failed physical, something to do with a nagging ankle injury. I don't really know the details. Um, so he ended up playing on a one year deal for $5 million with the Colts, but now he's coming over to play for us for uh, a maximum of two and a half million with incentives. So um i like it i think he's definitely more talented than seth roberts pretty much all across the board but chris what's your opinion on our new wide receiver ryan grant well i mean obviously you said it uh you know the reason why he was going to get that big contract is because in the his fourth year you know his contract year the end of his rookie contract in washington he had a pretty good year you know 45 catches 573 yards four touchdowns is not a primary receiver or anything close but he had the production there and yeah you know, obviously he got the deal and then, you know, everything fell through with that weird injury situation. Yeah. Goes to Indianapolis last year and kind of, you know, obviously the Colts had an explosive offense, but, you know, he clearly was, you know, not featured too much. I mean, he only had 52 targets on the year, uh, you know, so just finished with 35 catches, just a single touchdown. But beyond that, looking past the stats, when the when he visited the Raiders last year, after the whole deal fell through, and he kind of decided between the Raiders and the Colts. He obviously chose the Colts, but I watched a lot of film on him because I was like, man, receiver we could bring in. And honestly, what I took away from watching him was he is a nuanced, talented, subtle route runner. And 
I definitely think that that'll be utilized well in Gruden's system. Uh, you know, he definitely moves his body well. Uh, definitely has that little sudden movement that can beat the defender. And, uh, you know, he has nice hands. Last two years, 67, 69% uh, catch percentage. So, you know, it doesn't seem like drops are an issue there. I'm a fan of the move. And I definitely think, you know, when you look at, you know, him in the slot, he has a great opportunity to, you know, earn time in between Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams. Guys, they're going to take away a lot of attention. They're going to bracket AB. They're going to be watching out for Tyrell going deep, trying to take the top off the defense. And a guy like Ryan Grant has a great opportunity to come in there and have some production. Uh, the issue, though, is that, you know, and it's something to think about. It's not a big contract. So, you know, it's not a big risk for the Raiders. And I do think the Raiders are going to go into the draft, have their eyes on a wide receiver that could easily come in and snatch away a lot of the opportunity that Ryan Grant has right now. Yeah, I'm glad you locked him in kind of as uh, his ceiling is going to be wide receiver three for us. But we definitely, the window of opportunity is still there. I think we definitely need to attack a slot receiver, a pure slot receiver in the draft and essentially i mean you you look at just the contract situation we're basically getting a cheaper seth roberts um you know you're not you're not getting a a wide receiver two here we're not letting seth roberts go on four and a half million no we're we're letting a backup wide receiver go for half the money so exactly um, man and he can block too so i know seth's big strength was his blocking you know doing the dirty work but no joke i even tweeted out you know a, a video of ryan grant running over a DB to clear the way for T Y Hilton on a, you know, wide receiver screen. So this isn't a dude that's, you know, soft and pretty and just runs pretty routes and that's it. No, he's, he'll block too. Uh, six foot, 200 pounds. You know, he's, uh, he's a football player. Make no mistake about it. So definitely we're, I think we're one piece away from running out this wide receiver group to be absolutely perfect. It was a great overhaul this off season. I think we just need a little cherry on top, but we are right there. But yeah, Chris, like I said, it's a weird, it was a weird week for us. Things were a little bit different. But definitely next week, we're going to pick things back up to our normal schedule. We have another special guest coming on, a friend of ours, Malik Obi, And we're going to shift gears. We're jumping out of the last wave of free agency. Maybe a few guys come along we'll talk about. But we are going full-blown draft mode next week. Chris, are you ready, man? Man, I can't wait for that episode. I can't wait for the NFL draft coming up in general. It's an exciting time. Be interesting to see if the Raiders add any more pieces here in the final waves of free agency pre-draft. And then, obviously, like you said, man, we're gearing up for what's going to be some one of the funnest Raiders drafts in quite some time, maybe ever. Three first-round draft picks, man. Let's go. Let's build this football team. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I think I even heard a stat. It's been uh, since the 80s, maybe, that a team's had three first-round draft picks. Uh, so we're gearing up maybe for the best draft by a single team here in the last 40 years or so so i'm looking forward to it we got eight picks four of them in the top 35 we're capping off all of our depth needs besides defensive end hint hint but besides that like i said chris after this we're shifting gears we're ready to go it's an exciting time to be a raider fan hope you enjoyed our short little episode but next week we're gonna be bringing the heat so stay tuned later nation <laughs>